0: So this first half of the sermon is going to be something of an introduction and, a, and an overview, um, uh, hitting a bunch of themes really quickly. And then the second half, I'm going to do, a, do some more clear application, okay? So right here at the beginning, because we're doing the whole book in a day, I want to I give you just the seed of the idea of what we're, we're dealing with here. The term Song of Songs means it's the greatest of songs. It's the great, a great song, the greatest of songs. That's what the way the Hebrews talk. Holy of holies means the most holy place. Song of songs means the greatest song. Um, some people, of course, believe that it's, it was written by Solomon in and, and verse 1. It seems to say that, although it actually doesn't say that. It actually says something that could mean that, but also could mean something else. And I'm not, I'm not talking about anti-Bible people. I'm talking about people who believe every word of the Bible who say, well, verse one there, when it talks about Solomon, it may not, that language doesn't exactly say Solomon wrote the book. It could be saying other things about it. So Solomon may or may not be the author. um, So just keep that in mind. We don't need to know um, in order to, we know it's part of God's word. We know it's inspired um, it could be that Solomon collected it. It could be other things about what this connection is with Solomon. I'd also say about Solomon, um, some Bibles have Solomon in the headings as if the man in this book is Solomon. And I strongly believe that that is not the case, that the man and the husband in this this Song of Songs is not Solomon. Um, if you think about Solomon, he had 1,000 wives and concubines. Singing a song of monogamy, devotion to his one wife, makes no sense for uh, Solomon as a character in this, uh, in, in this dialogue, as the husband. I don't think Solomon's the husband. Another thing that's, that's sometimes missed is, um, and it is, uh, it is not, and not, not agreed with on everybody, but this is what I, what I strongly believe after many years of studying this, and this is the way I'm going to present it, is this is not a drama. There's not a story that begins in chapter one and goes to chapter eight, and there's a developing story there. The reason I know that is because everybody who thinks there is a story thinks it's a different story. If you've ever read anything about the Song of Songs, you'll get, if you get five people telling you what the story is in Song of Songs, they'll have different stories In other words, they bring, they they make up the story that seems to fit with them. I, I when I'm reading sometimes the commentaries and the th- the ways they explain what the, they think the I think the story is this. I have to laugh sometimes because they have to do a lot of twisting in order to make that the story. So I don't think it's a story. It's lyrical poetry. It's songs. These are songs. This is a collection of songs. They all fit together. They're a whole. They're a unity. But this is an anthology, a collection of songs. And what ties all the songs together is the same message, the same theme. And these are songs between a husband and a wife. Sometimes the husband is singing the song. Sometimes the wife is singing the song. Sometimes it's a duet, husband and wife. And there's also a chorus, which can be different things. The daughters of Jerusalem or friends of the bride or friends of the groom or the brothers of the bride etc um there can be these choruses that speak from time to time but for the most part it's a bride speak and a groom speaking, and they're speaking to one another, and it's lyrical poetry, it's songs, it is love songs. It's not a narrative, it's not a historical narrative, it's not epic poetry, it's lyrical poetry, it's songs. And so it's just packed full of metaphor. It's not trying to tell you uh, all these things that actually happen. The reason sometimes you say, I can't make sense of this. Yeah, because it's just one metaphor after another after another metaphor. Don't be looking for the story here but be looking at the metaphors and what's the, what's the point of all this? What's, what's, the, what's the, the idea of all this? Um, the only other thing I'll say is... Well, no, that actually covers it. I did a good job. I wasn't looking at my notes. But I, I got it all. Okay. That was what I wanted to say for introduction. Okay. That's, the, that, that's what the Song of Songs is. Four and five, the reason I picked four and five is because there's some, some important things in four and five. Four, you, you, you get an example of the husband and the way he talks to his wife. And five, the second half of five, you get an example of the wife and the way she talks about her husband and to her husband and about her husband, the way she, the way she speaks. Um, and so you get both of those in, in these two chapters. And you also get the fact that it's not all idealist love poetry. Everything's positive. As with our own loves, love tales that we have, love poetry that we read today. When you hear songs on the radio, sometimes they're rapturous about the love and sometimes they're broken-hearted, right? Because the love is not working out. The love is failing. They're out of accord with each other. If you watch a movie, a love story movie, what do you, there's always going to be a bad part, right? A bad part. It's good, it's no, it's they don't know each other, then it's good, then it's bad, then it's really bad, then it's good, then it's amazing. You know, and that's the way. That's the arc of every single Hollywood love story movie that was ever made because they're both part of the reality of love and they're in the Song of Songs too. There's bad points and there's good points. There's lots of good. There's more good than bad, but there's a lot of bad in there as well. And that's in chapter five as well. So we're going to look at that in the second sermon. Um, But here's the thing. Because we have in the Bible as the inspired word of God, the Song of Songs, and it is pure love poetry, now, we're going to talk about what it relates to God in the second sermon so that there's a connection to God. God's only mentioned once in the whole Song of Songs. For the most part, it's about each other, the bride to the groom, the groom to the bride, and it's a, and it's a lot of love poetry. Um, and the way it's written, what it, just just bathing in the love poetry of, of Song of Songs shows you a lot of things that the rest of the Bible backs up, That uh, some bad teaching. It, it helps you, us get away from bad teaching in the history of the church, okay? So this is what, this is what um, I want to do now. Show how the Song of Songs helps us with, with get away from some bad teaching that the church has received from time to time and often receives. The first bad teaching is that your desires are sinful. We all have sinful desires, but that's not the same thing as saying your desires are sinful. We have desires that—human beings have desires within— that are uh, natural desires, that are pure desires, that are good desires. There's not, desire itself is not bad, but from time to time the church has taught that we need to kill all desires, get rid of all, de- everything you want is bad. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's sinful desires and there's good desires. So not, not all desires. This book is a book Filled with desire. Like one scholar said the, the, the key idea in the Song of Songs is desire. It is longing for the other. That's the keynote, desire, 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 desire. Um, and um, what you'll often hear is that, that these, uh, th- there was something in the church history that has, that, uh, that has gone on through all of church history, even back to the first century. It's gone the whole time, and it's in Protestant churches as well today, is this asceticism. Now, you may never have heard that word in your life, but you may have heard the teaching even if you never heard the word. Asceticism means it's a kind of teaching of the Bible that emphasizes that um, in order to reach God, in order to get with God, you must avoid and kill all pleasure. All your desires, all pleasures, all sensual pleasures, all things that you enjoy. The more you get rid of that stuff, the more you'll have God. The more you get rid of the, the stuff that you really love and enjoy... The more, the more more, of God you can get. That's called asceticism. It was in the first century, and it's been taught the whole time in bad, in bad times, and, by, and, and sometimes even good teachers have taught it to a degree. Um, but that's not the teaching of the Bible. The Song of Songs celebrates desire, celebrates pleasure, celebrates the good things, the way God made the world, the good things that God gave us. God gave us pleasure. He didn't give us pleasure as a distraction. He gave us pleasure. We, we use pleasure in sinful ways. We, go astro- we, use, we, we take pleasure and, and use it to replace God in our life. But pleasure and, and bodily appetites and all those things, when, when, when someone's telling you the only way to get to God is to get rid of all that, and many teachers have taught that, That's called asceticism, and that's not what the Bible teaches. It's it's clearly not the way the Song of Songs thinks, and it's clearly not the the way the rest of the Bible thinks either. Um, Bodily appetites are good, desires are good, pleasure is good. You can turn it to sin, but they're good in and of themselves. Bad teaching, another bad teaching, that salvation is an escape from the body. Now, you you haven't gotten that teaching in this church, but you may have gotten it somewhere, And, um, and certainly it's been taught from the first century all the way, um, on. And what that means is that, um, salvation is about getting away from your body. Your body's the bad thing. And the way to get to God is to get your spirit out of your body, uh, to get your spirit out of your body and get your spirit with God and leave your body behind. And, and, and this life, all you can do since you're still trapped in the body, which is the way they talk, this is not biblical way to talk that you're trapped in your body. Um, but they think you're chained and trapped in your body. And so to get, w- to get way away from the body is, uh, in this life, all you can do is, you know, hurt the body and not give the body anything it wants. Just starve the body, basically, and, and take away everything. And, and that is, that's not right either. That's not good teaching. Because why? We believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe that God died to save your spirit and your body as a unity. And on the resurrection day, you will be raised from the dead in your body. Your body is important to God. He died, Jesus died on the cross to save your body as well as your spirit, to save you. Uh, and, and, and that means in the new heavens and the new earth, after Jesus returns in the new heavens and the new earth, you will be walking around in a body. A glorified body, a perfected body, but a body. And the body, of course, in the Song of Songs is extremely important. The body is described in the most minute detail. The body, the it goes back to the body again and again and again. And these guys, this, these people are not embarrassed about the body. They don't think there's anything wrong with the body. The body is good. Who designed the body, by the way? You now I could ask you who designed the Ford Mustang, the first Ford Mustang, and we could go into that. Who designed the female body and the male body? God. You think he likes it? <laughs> you think he loves it? You think he thinks it is wonderful? And do and you think he designed it for each other so that the, the, the body is something that human beings like and, the, and that human beings enjoy? But we're shamed all the time that, no, we shouldn't like the body. We shouldn't want the body. We shouldn't you know, appreciate the body. That's, not, that's just not biblical thinking. That's not biblical teaching. That's not the way. And the Song of Songs demonstrates that so, clo- so clearly that there's no embarrassment in this book about the body. People are shocked um, uh, sometimes by reading the Song of Songs for the first time. Um, a few more things I want to say. Um, uh, let's see. I don't have time to say a lot. Of Let me say these really quickly. Beauty is sometimes treated as a temptation and we, or shallow. And, we, and there's a good part of that. There's biblical teaching that says, you know, some, just because someone's beautiful doesn't mean they're good, you know, and beauty is not everything. And, of course, that's true. But don't make the opposite mistake of thinking then that God hates beauty or thinks beauty is a temptation, no. Once again, God made beauty. He designed beauty. Um, beauty is a good thing. Um, it, one of the teachings, in the, one of the bad teachings in the history of the church has been that virginity is the superior life. That it, married life—that's good. That's okay. But if you really want to reach God, if you really want to be holy, virginity—that's the life. The life of the virgins. Women who never get married, men who never get married—they live the life of virgins. Because Jesus was a virgin, the Apostle Paul was a virgin. There's teaching about virginity and living that life in the Bible. Yes, clearly, but that's not what the Bible teaches—that virginity. They, what they would say is, you can get closer to God. You can go. You can. You can uh, be more holy if you live the life of virginity instead of marriage. Now, this is not teaching that we hear in Presbyterian circles, but I'm mentioning it because it is teaching that you do get from time to time. Uh, in the church. Virginity is not superior to married life. This married life is being celebrated as a wonderful thing, as God's blessing on them, as a good thing, as a wonderful thing. Uh, Marriage is good. And yes, it is marriage. Let's make sure. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is an exclusive thing. It's one man with one woman. And whenever in the the Old Testament, there were men who had, had multiple wives, that was an aberration from what God's standard was, from what God's... It happened. Of course, it happened. Men had multiple wives, but it wasn't righteous. It wasn't the way that Jesus Himself says this is not the way it was supposed to be from the beginning. Adam and Eve, one man, one woman. Uh, the Song of Songs, one man, one woman um, together. Not Solomon with a thousand, or another man with two or another man with four or another man with five. That's not God's way. God's way of marriage is an exclusive relationship. And exclusivity is really emphasized in this, how you belong to me alone and I belong to you. And it goes both ways. I belong to you. You belong to me. It's two people, husband and wife, two husband and wife. It's exclusive. And we belong to each other. And, uh, and, and he, he calls her his bride. When he calls her his sister, that's not a biological reference. That's the way they talked back then that you often referred to a best friend as a brother or a sister, a man would refer to a, a, his wife as his sister or his lover as a sister. It meant love, it meant connection and, and closeness. Um, and he calls her, he refers to her as locked up, not meaning she's locked to him, but meaning she's locked from the rest of the world and she belongs to him alone. Um, at the end of the book, she says, I have a vineyard, and I'm giving it to you, you alone. And by, by the vineyard, she means her body. Her body is her vineyard. And she said, my vineyard is for you alone, my husband. So it's an exclusive. This is about marriage, and marriage is exclusive. It's two people, one to one, man and woman. Uh, it's, uh, do, I, do I even have to say that? Yes, I have to say it, unfortunately. It's not man and man. It's not woman and woman. It's man, one man one woman, that's marriage. Nothing else is, is, is marriage. Um, that's what marriage is. Um, a few other bad teachings, uh, and then I need to wrap this up um, and come back with some applications. Um, oh, sometimes the church has taught that, that intercourse is only for procreation. That's the only, that's the only purpose of it. Um, Song of Songs has no mention of procreation. There's one little verse that might be hinting at it, but there's, it's all about, about their relations and it includes sexual relations. And it's, there's no hint of procreation. What's the point of this love? Expression of love, enjoyment of each other. That is the main purpose of this. Uh, procreation is, is also part of it and is very, very, very important. But, that is, but, the, but the, the thing that's lifted up in this book to the top as the most important thing is their enjoyment of each other, their love for each other, their unity. Uh, that that's what it's that's what it's all about. Another bad teaching that you get, and you do get this in inter, in, uh, in evangelical circles from time to time, is women aren't interested in this, but men are. And so, women, you're just sort of along for the ride, and you're 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 serving the man because the man want, but then the woman doesn't really. Is that what the Song of Songs pictures? No. It's Not the way it's supposed to be, that's ridiculous. That's not the way it's supposed to be. In, in the Song of Songs, the woman speaks the woman is actually the main speaker. She speaks first, she speaks last, she speaks the most. And the woman has as much desire as the man. The woman is as is, is, is pleased and, an enjoy, and enjoys the man as much as the man enjoys the woman. It's mutual. it's a mutual thing, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's not always that for many very, various reasons of sin. And, and backgrounds and, and just all sorts of physical problems, and all, of course there can be different things going on there, but, but the ideal the way it's supposed to be is this mutual, mutual enjoyment. Um, real quick, marriage is, a bad teaching is that marriage is a practical arrangement. In the history of the church, often marriage has been treated as a practical arrangement, like, you know, it would make sense for you two to be together. And there'll be a dowry, you'll get some money for this. Or maybe there'll be a political alliance or maybe, an, or, or what's, ma- what matters here is that you, that, uh, she can have babies and she'll, and she'll start cranking out the babies. And, and it's just a practical arrangement. Um, that's what it's all about. But is there anything practical about the song of songs? Is there any practical? No. Why did these two get married? Cause they love each other so much. Sometimes it gets presented that feelings and the feeling of love is not a biblical teaching. Um, and that you should get married for practical reasons, the song of songs says otherwise. No, you get married because you love the other one so much. Your heart is moved. You feel for them. And the last thing I'm going to say, bad teaching you say is, love is not a feeling. Baloney. I've said it. It's a popular evangelical statement. Love is not a feeling. Baloney. Love is a feeling. It's also a duty it's also sacrifice. It's also pain. But you better believe it's a feeling as well. The Song of Songs demonstrate this is a book filled with feeling. It's all about feeling. I feel this. I feel this. I feel this. She feels this. He feels this. Everybody's feeling things. Uh, it's all about feeling. And love is a feeling. Now, it's not only a feeling. That's what, that's what they mean when they say that. But they go too far to say love is not a feeling. Of course it's a feeling. Of course there's feelings in love. Uh, between a married couple, they, they are to feel something for each other. So, okay. You may say, well, where's the pot? Where, can I get something good here? Can I get an application? I'm coming back for that. I just, I just sort of cleaned the deck. Okay. I just swept off the deck, swept off some, some garbage, and I'll come back with two applications um, in a moment. Let's, uh, let me pray.